I don't sell people what they want to buy. If somebody's going down the wrong track, instead of just saying, okay, here's that gear, you know, just go ahead and buy it. I'll try to have the conversation with them first. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to help retailers sell and educate customers on your products, how to balance between selling to retailers and selling directly to consumers, and how to identify the biggest hurdles for your customers that stop them from buying. Before the show, I wanted to chat about Exchange Marketplace. It's Shopify's marketplace to buy and sell businesses. In addition to browsing businesses that are up for sale, you can now gift a business to an aspiring entrepreneur in your life for as little as $50. Visit exchangemarketplace.com slash categories slash gift dash a dash business for more information, or you can go to the show notes to get the link as well. Today, I'm joined by Michael Hagen from Hagen Ski Mountaineering. Hagen Ski Mountaineering sells advanced backcountry skiing gear for accomplished skiers who want to accomplish more. And Mike is the U.S. distributor and is a six-figure business. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hello. Good to meet you, Felix. Yeah, so you told me that you saw an opportunity in the ski market. So tell me more about that. What was the opportunity that you saw? Well, I was uh, I was in the army and I was stationed in uh, in Italy actually at the time, and I went on a ski trip uh, to Austria, uh, and I met my wife there and uh, her family, and basically was introduced to ski touring or alpine ski touring. Then um, I had done it in the army before, but you know a military version, not a recreational version, and uh, her family introduced me to the sport, and I loved it, and. I thought, you know, this just doesn't exist or is not, you know, just is unknown in the United States. And I saw an opportunity to bring the gear and, and introduce the sport to the United States. I won't say introduce. It was here, but it was small and uh, it was much bigger in, in Europe. And I just saw the potential for growth in the United, in the United States. Got it. So the, the company, the, the, it's an Austrian company. It's been around for, for a while, right? Tell us more about kind of the history of it and how you got introduced to, to the brand. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the yeah, it's an Austrian company. Uh, it's been around since 1924. It's the oldest ski company in the world. It's actually tied with Fisher, uh, which also makes uh, Alpine gear and Alpine skiing tour. They were founded both of them in 1924. It was founded by two brothers in a small village. Uh, they were wagon wheel makers, and after the world first world war, uh, you know, the economic situation wasn't too good. And they kind of foresaw, you know, cars were coming in and wagon wheel sales were going to be going down and they skied. So they switched from making wagon wheels to making skis out of ash wood. Um, and yeah, and their, their name was Hager and they were from the little village called Antiesenhofen. So they combined the first three letters of Hager and the first two of Antiesenhofen and came up with the brand name of Hagan. And uh, yeah, they had been around since 1924. So when... Uh, when I met my um, wife, it's kind of a funny story. Her father is, is somewhat uh, well, typical Austrian, a little bit Teutonic, you know, a little bit straightforward. And he kind of tested me. He said, let's go skiing. And he wanted to test me. And he, we, we went driving up to the mountains, parked at a trailhead. He got the gear out of the uh, car. We, had the, we fortunately had the same size feet. So I used his old hand-me-down gear. He got out of the, you know, 
got the gear out of the car, put it on the ground, clipped into his gear and left. And I'm like, uh, how's this gear work? You know, how do I get into these bindings? Cause I had never seen them before. They were a new at the time, very advanced, uh, binding. <laughs> so it took me a few minutes to figure things out and try to catch up with them. So it was a little test and, and the skis that he happened to give me were Hagan skis. Um, and then later on, I, uh, when I started getting into racing, I met a couple guys on the Austrian national team that were in, on Hagan skis. And kind of one thing led to another. When I moved to the United States and I wanted to get into ski mountaineering racing, uh, I knew Hagan wasn't available in the United States. So instead of being simple and just uh, you know, buying the skis while I'm visiting Austria, I actually asked them if they were looking for a U.S. distributor. And they said, sure. And uh, so uh, I became the U.S. distributor. So first of all, a super cool story about the brand. I, I love hearing about, about uh, businesses from you know almost a century ago learning how to pivot back then even. So that's super cool that, that that's their background. So you you were interested in, in in doing the sport in the US. You didn't see the gear that you were that you liked when you were over in, in Europe and you reached out to Hagan and asked them, do you need a US distributor? I, I I'd be surprised if that was the first person ever to approach them about this or what was the situation? How were you able to pitch yourself in a way where you became a U.S. distributor for, for them? Yeah, it was a simple email. I just wrote them and said, uh, you know, I kind of told them about my background with the military skiing and my wife being Austrian, that I had learned about the brand. And uh, I had been you know, moved back to the United States and was trying to get into the sport. And I re- realized there was a lack of uh, quality and, and competitively priced gear in the United States and asked if I could be there distributor and uh they wrote me back and said sure it was just as simple as that an email and they wrote back and said yeah you can do it and it, actually it was it's pretty interesting because uh um it was entirely based off trust to this day we don't have a contract between the between me and them uh you know and they shipped me the first set of gear and without me paying in advance it was just all based on trust wow so so they, they emailed you back, said, yes, you can do it. So tactically, what happens next? Like once you, once you got the, the okay from them, again, this sounds like a, almost like a, basically a handshake deal. What were, what were the next steps to actually turn this into a business? Well, I started really small. Um, and, you know, the whole market in the United States was quite small. I guess this has been a little over 10 years ago. It's been advancing. The market has been growing you know, amazingly quickly lately. Uh, but at the time it was pretty small and it was, uh, simply me a matter of, uh, calling up the very few retailers in the United States at that time, or some of them, you know, I didn't reach out everybody, but, uh, and especially I started kind of in Colorado, uh, visited a few of the ski shops that had it cause it's very specialized gear. Most, most ski shops don't carry it. They're starting to, but at the time there was probably, yeah, there was maybe six ski shops in the United in, in Colorado uh, back then that you know had the gear, and I just contacted them, either either email or visiting, and uh, you know got a few relationships with a few uh, retailers going. 
So, so explain a little bit more. I think I think most of the listeners out, out here out or listening right now are probably more used to kind of like a not being a distributor, but but either you know buying and selling product, holding inventory themselves and selling it, or creating inventory themselves and selling it. So, when you are a distributor for a a I guess a foreign company, you are purchasing the inventory ahead of time. Like, what is the I guess logistics of how you 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 transact your business? Yeah. Um- uh, you know, I, uh, I at the time, starting off, I would work with the retailers and get orders, and I'd try to get the orders in the summer, or, or you know, actually late spring, spring or early summer, and uh, get their orders, and then try to make an estimate of how much more I I might sell, you know, directly, which at the time wasn't much, and then just send that order to uh, to Austria, and they would ship me the gear. At the time, it was just uh, uh, skis. Uh, they didn't have bindings or boots, which they do now. And uh, yeah, I would, I would get the gear. It would mm-hmm. be shipped. Uh, I'm small, so it would be shipped air freight instead of uh, sea freight. So a little bit more expensive. But uh, and then I would uh, break it down, sort it out, and send it to the retailers. And who who assumes the risk in this deal? Is that does it change depending on? I guess that the 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 details of the deal, or just like in general, who assumes the risk in this kind of arrangement? Yeah, that's that's um, you know that's me pr- primarily. Um, you know, Austria assumes the risk if I don't pay, but uh, I assume the risk if uh, if uh, retailers uh, don't pay me. If a retailer goes bankrupt, which I had in one case, and I got burned by one retailer, um, yeah. So the risk is primarily on the distributor. Mm. Okay, so then you you had these agreements with the the the, uh, the retailers. Was it hard to pitch them to get the products into their stores? What was that process like to to get it out into to, to the market? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's it's relatively hard uh, to pitch to new retailers uh, with a brand that was you know unknown in the United States at the time. Yeah, it is hard, um, you know, because marketing is pretty key and brand awareness is, uh, you know, for expensive gear that's in shops. Yes, yeah, it's hard to to get retailers to yeah. uh, to to buy in because um, they're concerned about their sell through. And it's, you know, it's easier to sell brands that people know uh, than a new brand that they're not so familiar with. Uh, some boutique retailers like that, you know, they like to be able to distinguish themselves from bigger retailers. But it, yeah, it's it's a bit of a tough sell. That's you know I would say that's mm-hmm. the biggest obstacle is uh, you know name and brand recognition. Got it. So so name and brand recognition certainly helps you you uh, get these, these these agreements with the retailers. You mentioned in certain cases the boutique shops want kind of more I wouldn't say obscure brands, but brands that don't mimic the the inventory of the bigger brands. So that right. gives you a shot. Uh, but what else what else worked to give you a chance? Were there any retailers that said, hey, I want to t- I want to work with you, I want to take a chance with you. I believe in you because of some reason. Like what was it that you learned about what worked in terms of getting into a retailer? Yeah, we had something in common. <laughs> so uh, backcountry skiing or alpine ski touring for people that don't know is, is quite different from a uh, regular downhill like lift serve ski area skiing in that you climb up. Uh, so you climb up with special bindings, special boots that are more mobile. The heel is uh, free so you can get a walking stride and you have these climbing skins, they're called, um, that help you climb up and then you take them off and ski back down. The, the downhill part is quite similar now to you know regular 
uh, ski resort type downhill skiing. Um, but the climbing is totally different. And so it's a, it's a, you know, it's a fitness sport. It's an aerobic sport. Um, and initially the people that started selling it were people like me that loved the sport. Uh, and, uh, and my first retail sales were largely to other people that I uh, that I met at races at ski mountaineering races, and they, they you know they they were so into the sport that they started retail shops, and I was so into it that I became a distributor. So that's you know largely I was start selling to a few friends that had started their own stores. Got it. So basically, everybody in the industry, at least when you you started, were already huge fans of the sport themselves, and these it sounded like they started businesses just like you um, around their their already passion, existing passion for for this sport. Now, yeah. what, what's what's your role once a retailer wants to carry the products? Do you play a role in helping them with a sell through? Like, do you play a role in helping to market? Like, what's your role at that point to make sure that the retailer is happy so that they will purchase more inventory from you? Yeah, and that's something actually that I uh, need to uh, be better at um, is the help with the sell through or help with the education on the products. Now, most retailers, like I say, are so into the sport, they pretty much know the gear left and right. Um, but you know, when there's a new ski, a new binding, you know, explaining the features to them and explaining how to, you know, sell, how to market those features to customers, you know, tell them what this, this product does, this ski or this binding or this boot, you know, what it's, what its advantages are and how it will help a consumer, uh, meet their goals. So educating the retailers is important and something I haven't done as, as, as well as I, as I would, you know, would like to and need to do better. I've been doing a lot of that on the Shopify for direct consumers, you know, trying to, you know, have very good explanations of the gear, but, um, that's always something that can be, you know, done better. And, you know, it's time consuming though, to, to be contacting and, and working directly with all the retailers. Mm-hmm. At this point, how many retailers do you have? Not too many, um, in the dozens is all. Got it. Now you, you mentioned, of course, you know, the Shopify site, at what point did you start also selling directly to consumers? Was it at the same time as working at the, the retailers or, or after? Yeah, it was after. So originally I didn't even have a website, you know, so I was bringing in the gear and I guess this was 10 or 12 years ago now, um, bringing in the gear and, you know, contacting retailers and selling directly to them. And then pretty much literally selling uh, to friends and out of my trunk at ski races. You know, we do the race and then have a beer afterwards and people say, hey, well, what kind of gear is that? I say, oh, you know, it's, you know, it's a new brand I'm bringing in and, you know, selling a set of skis maybe, you know, <laughs> in the parking lot after a race. Um, uh, so, yeah, so originally no website at all. Then I got a website, a very rudimentary, you know, Apple iWeb website. Um, with no e-commerce function whatsoever and sales were growing slowly to, you know, direct sales. Um, but li- literally people would email me and say, Hey, I'd like to get a set of those skis. And I'd say, okay, send me a check. You know, it was, you know, so cumbersome and really small. Um, and then, you know, the big switch. And when I started direct sales increasing was when I switched to Shopify, I think three or four years ago now. And, you know, direct sales to consumers have been steadily increasing ever since. Mm-hmm. And when you are, when you do have these existing retailer relationships, and then you decide to sell directly to consumers, I'm I'm assuming that's a delicate balancing act. Tell us more about that. Like, how do you manage those kind of? I mean, I'm not sure if you consider consider them competing interests, but obviously, you're mm-hmm. also now become a retailer yourself. Yeah, uh, it is. It is a balance, and uh, you know, I think it's a 
a struggle or a balance that all um, or most all brands, uh, any brand that is attempting some direct sales is is going through, uh, is is how to have your direct sales without undermining your retailers. Um, in my case, it's you know it's almost required because it's a niche sport, and I'm not in that many retailers. Um, you know, not everybody can find a Hagan gear within 50 or 100 miles of where they live. So uh, many people, you know, almost have to go online to get it. And most of the retailers, Hagan is a, we're specialized in backcountry skiing. We're a small company, but we probably have the widest variety of gear uh, of any brand in the United, you know, in the world. Uh, we have 13 different skis. We have nine different bindings. We have three different poles, you know, all kinds of different gear. And not every shop carries it. So there may be some ski or some binding that, you know, somebody, a, re, a customer doesn't have, you know, anywhere close to them. So the only way I'm going to be able to sell it is by going direct to consumer. So it's kind of balancing that without undermining the pricing. Um, I have to be real careful about having sales. You know, we have a, a pricing agreement with retailers and when and how much they can discount it. And, you know, even when I make like a couple, couple Black Fridays ago, I had a 24-hour sale was you know, a little bit bigger discount than retailers were supposed to have at the time. And I heard back from a retailer, I said, hey, you know, how come you're having a 15% off sale and we can only have a 10% off sale? So, you know, you make mistakes like that along the way and you learn from your mistakes. And uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully the mistakes aren't too costly. Right. Makes sense. Now you mentioned that the, uh, the traffic and the sales to the, to the, to your own, your own store, your own online store is steadily rising. Where's where that coming from? Where is, where's the increase or the steady increase of uh, traffic and sales coming from? You know, hopefully it's partly, you know, partly because of, well, you know, Shopify is definitely helping with, you know, uh, search, uh, uh, visibility, uh, so there's two aspects to it. One, the sport is really growing, just taking off tremendously in the last five years, especially. It's just boomed in the United States. And that, you know, that was that potential that I saw. Uh, people tend to say that, you know, Europe was 15 or 20 years ahead of the United States. And it certainly was, that was the case uh, 10 years ago. And now the United States is really growing. So part of my increased sales are simply because the sport has gotten so much bigger in the United States than it was. I would say it's five to 10 times bigger than it was five years ago. I mean, it's really grown. Um, and then, yeah, the other, you know, increase in sales is through, I think largely just through getting on Shopify and having much more visibility, making it easier for people to review, you know, learn about the products and easy, easy to order. Uh, so having Shopify has, has really helped with that. Um, on the other hand, what I'm fighting is because the, the, the uh, market has really grown. The big companies uh, that were traditional alpine, you know, downhill skis, um, uh, three well, about five years ago, they they realized hey, this 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 is a little you know plaything market anymore. It's becoming you know substantial. So a lot of the big brands that people would be familiar with got into the market, and uh, because of their marketing, it it actually made it. You know, much harder for me in retailers. I lost several retailers because they could go with a brand that had you know million dollar marketing budgets, and everybody had heard of because they you know from their alpine skiing days they you know seen three thousand sets of them on the chairlift. Um, so the market was growing, but the the big brands were jumping into it just as fast as it was growing, or even even faster. So the pie got bigger, but it was getting sliced up pretty thin. 
and it made it really hard on some specialized brands like Hagan and a few others. Um, made it pretty tough. I, I think we've survived and made it through that, and uh, you know, are now are continuing to grow. Got it. So you said a couple key things in there. First of all, you talked about the growth in the 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 business, but then also the growth in attention from bigger brands and the the kind of struggles that came with that. So I want to talk about that in a second, but let's first talk about the the growth in the business. So you mentioned the sport grew, um, the 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 SEO, the kind of search visibility was, was improved as you as you um, invested more into your your online presence, your website. And then you also allow people to see reviews and leave reviews and learn more about the product. So let's talk about more about the, the website itself. So you mentioned education was something that uh, you found that is important for retailers and also education for you uh, to your customers through your website. Tell us more about that. Like, What do you focus on when it comes to educating your, your uh, prospective customers? Yeah, so um, a lot of people are quite new to the sport. There's, there's some that you know, have been with it at, you know, for a long time and know, know the gear. But I would say because it's growing so rapidly, over half the people are, you know, first time buyers of, you know, any gear in the sport of ski mountaineering and, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of questions. So having a good product description, I think really helps. I try to, uh, you know, write in the product description of who the gear is designed for, you know, what type of skier, how advanced they are, what their goals are. And then, you know, like the bindings are kind of complicated, so I have some videos on how the bindings operate. I uh, need to do more of that. You know, the more videos, you know, that's definitely the future is to have more videos explaining things, explanatory and maintenance type of uh, videos. And then, you know, I use a Shopify blog to talk about you know type of gear you would use for different um, uh, different type of trips, hut trips, or different types of skiing or racing. So using the blog is also uh, education for customers. And uh, you know, like we have 13 different types of skis. So for a beginner, they're like, well, what type of ski should I get? So blog posts saying, okay, you know, this these type of skis are for this type of skiing. You know, uh, are really helpful. Yeah, I, I think I've heard this before too. Where it's where the the goal really of any website or any 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 sales process is to remove any uncertainty from the purchase. So you are creating a lot of content for the blog. You mentioned creating videos, educating them on what to get, how to use it, how to care for it. Do you find that this is what has improved conversions for your website the most, or were there other changes that you've made that have made a, a, an impact on the conversions and sales? I yeah, I do think having uh, the information and the descriptions is helpful. Um, I think actually what helps probably almost more than anything, especially with, you know, it's, you know, it's not like selling cars and everybody at least knows, you know, what a car is for it. So a lot of people get into sport and have heard about it, have seen people doing it, but really don't know how it works. Um, so having reviews, I think, uh, customer reviews and testimonials is probably as a relatively small, uh, brand in a niche sport i think the customer reviews and testimonials on you know uh you know yeah i have some nice testimonials where people say you know they got they got good help you know a lot of people just call or write with questions and when they when they say hey mike hagan can give you good you know he's an expert he'll he spends time explaining things to you i think that really helps uh uh with you know comfort people and uh make them confident in making a purchase hey Real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. 
Makes sense. Now, when it comes to the educational content that you're creating, where do you where, where do you get the guidance for that in terms of what kind of content to create, what kind of answer questions to answer? You know, Hagan in Austria, they they provide some information to me, and actually, I write like I write the U.S. catalog, I write you know the website, I translate the information from German into English for them for uh, for the catalog. Um, and of course, a lot of it is just my experience, expertise of uh, using the gear myself. Uh, we're fortunate to live uh, in Breckenridge, in the you know in the Colorado mountains at uh, nine thousand five hundred feet, and I ski. I use the gear two hundred times a year, uh, two hundred days a year. Uh, literally, you know, a lot of the time just from my back door. I you know literally walk into the garage, get the gear out, put it on on the on my parking pad, and start skiing. You know, climbing the mountains. So. Um, a lot of it is just my own personal use of the gear and then knowing how to ex- explain it to people. And, you know, a lot of questions. People people call and write with questions. And I, you know, from that, I try to understand uh, where the gaps in people's knowledge are and how to address that. It makes sense. So you mentioned, too, that these customer reviews and testimonials have helped a lot in terms of improving sales and conversions. What, what, how have you been able to, to gather testimonials and reviews? What's your process to make sure that you have that kind of content, uh, review content on your website? Yeah, I use an app um, called uh, CM Commerce. It was originally Conversio, um, and it focused on reviews. Uh, also, you know, some follow-up email, you know, uh, in the in the post purchase email type things, but people get a, make make a purchase and ask them for uh, ask them for a review, and that you know post a review on the product page, and then I can take some of the reviews reviews and put them on the homepage. Um, so that's what I've been using, and that's you know really been I think quite beneficial, uh, mm-hmm. especially as a as a, a less known brand to have customer reviews like that. Yeah, sometimes the reviews, people skip right down to the reviews first, at least, rather than reading the description a lot of times, just to make sure that they're even looking at the, the right product for them based on other people that have been in their shoes. So do you, it's obviously very powerful kind of gold that they can, they can put on your website. Are there ways that you found that to incentivize or encourage people to to respond back to these, you know, post-purchase emails to leave reviews on the products? Yeah, I actually just started doing it, and it's a it's a feature of this uh, of the CM Commerce app. Um, they I have it set up where they automatically get a uh, email, uh, you know, and it's because of ski skiing gear. I can't I don't want to send them a an email three days after they got it. They won't have had a chance to use it yet. Uh, so you lose a little bit of that immediacy, but you have to have them, you know, be able to actually get the you know they have to mount the skis with bindings. They have to you know be able to go skiing. So I wait 14 or 21 days so they can hopefully have actually used it and give a legitimate review. Um, and then um, I follow up a month or this is a, a, I've been doing this more lately. It's a feature can find those people that haven't given a review and follow up a month or two months later and ask again. And I've sent them a polite, it's an automated, you know, I've, uh, but I write a review saying or an email saying how, you know, how important, how helpful reviews are and, and asking them with no incentive, no, you know, no monetary incentive, no discount or anything like that. And uh, I have a pretty good, you know, it's a niche sport. People love the sport, so um, mm-hmm. they're they're more um, they're more you know more likely to provide a review of right. of it than a, you know maybe a I don't know a, a consumer product. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, right. So um, 
So, so th- this product, you know, just looking at the, the website now, it's a, it's a, it's a higher ticket purchase that you can make through a website. It's, I think between seven hundred, eight hundred dollars is what I'm seeing. It, yeah. It, how long does it take for someone to typically make that purchase? Or do you do you know like from the time that they maybe join your email list or get on your website? How long does it take for them before they they make the decision to buy? I don't know exactly. Um, I am a one man shop at this point. You know, at some point, although I'm, I'm not, I'm not actually sure. You know how much. It, I want to grow and, and, you know, or how much I want to keep it, you know, a one man shop. But so I'm not expert at analytics and so forth. Um, once they get on the, uh, the website, I, you know, I think purchases are relatively quick in that people have been exposed to the sport. They know they want to get, so they're only comparing it to brands uh, or other products, but they, at the, once they get on the shop, I think their purchase intent is pretty high. It's just hopefully I get them to purchase from me instead of somebody else. Uh, it's not like they're, uh, uh, you know, they've already decided to get something and, and uh, hopefully I give them the answers and provide them a product that they want to get. Yeah. So it sounds like you, you get your one man shop. So you probably interact a lot with the, the customers. Qualitatively speaking, are there certain things that you found that get them over the edge? Are there like certain questions that typically will block them from making a purchase that once you kind of answer for, for them, they're ready to buy? Yeah, the, the, I think the biggest um, question or hurdle for a lot of people is they they just don't know what type of ski and what type of binding to get. And this is you know talking to the new people, uh, and which is you know a lot of people because the sport is growing. So they're they're just uncertain. They've seen all kinds of different gear, and the the gear that tends to be marketed, um, you know, in the ski films on the Warren Miller you know films and the highlight reels is the uh, the people jumping off, you know, 100-foot cliffs. Um, and so that's the, that's the sexy stuff, and sex sells. And a lot of people have questions on, do they need that type of gear? And actually, you know, I think some of the retailers in the market is deserving people because 98% of people don't jump off 100-foot cliffs. They do different types of skiing. They don't need that big, heavy gear. Um, so my job because we don't sell that type of gear we sell lighter more fitness oriented gear you know we 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 get into that but our focus our our, our heritage is on a, a slightly narrower skis you know austrian style skiing for you know good skiers that know how to carve um so trying to convince people that they uh our product which is narrower and a little bit more specific uh is is the right product for them you know so a lot of people come to me and say hey, i think i need a ski that's 120 millimeters wide uh why should i buy one that's 70 they think oh, that's it's too hard to ski on and so i have to explain the advantages of a lighter ski that is easier to climb on um and uh that takes some time and i can just i can see the wheels turning in people's uh minds when i'm speaking to them in person or on the phone uh, there you know there's a there's a certain uh skepticism because all they see in the movies is is this other type of gear and here i am trying to convince them uh that that's really not appropriate that you know and that's a you know the preconceived uh notions are hard to overcome yeah that is that's a good point about people your customers are coming in with kind of i guess um incorrect beliefs on what they need based on what they've seen so far, especially if they are newer customers to the category or to the sport in your case. What what do you do then in those situations where they're coming in and thinking that they need something else that, that you don't provide because you don't believe in in you know selling that that particular product to them? How do you get them to see it, I guess, the right way or the way that, that you think makes the most sense for them? 
Right. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm just really honest with people and, uh, you know, I'll lose some customers because it's not what they want to hear. So, you know, you know, I don't sell people what they want to buy. If somebody's going down the wrong track instead of just saying, OK, here's that gear, you know, just go ahead and buy it. I'll try to have the conversation with them first. And, you know, I, I don't convince some people. And that's where, uh, you know, I can distinguish myself from, I think, from retailers who have more time pressure, you know, they got to move product. So if people come in with a preconceived idea, pre, a preconceived idea of what they want to get, the retailers fine to say, okay, you know, give me your credit card. That's not how I deal. I try to have the discussion with them um, and uh, really examine what they want, what they're what they're going to be using it for. Uh, talk about their skill levels and then explain why you know their pre preconceived idea may not really be matching with, with, with what is best for them. Um, yeah, and some people I can't convince. I see it. I can see it in their eyes or mm. I can hear it in their voice. Yeah, I mean, certainly better than having unhappy customers, especially when you don't need to, like you said, you don't have that urgency to sell through as much as a, as a retailer that has significant overhead costs. So you mentioned earlier about how the support is growing. You mentioned this a couple of times, support is growing. Uh, but one of the big issues is that now you're getting the, the attention, the kind of big giants, the big brands are, are rearing their heads and looking at the, the industry, the kind of niche that you're in. So how do you find a niche inside this as the competitors start moving in and to kind of survive the, the big brands that are moving in? I try to do it through website, you know, with a just discussion of the brand and the heritage. And, you know, that in this, you know, fast moving social media and marketing driven world, uh, you know, I don't think tradition is a is a huge um, selling point for most people, for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, we have it. So I'm going to still highlight it. I try to highlight uh, expertise and uh, authenticism. Um, no um, but yeah, and then yeah, and, and then I, you know, on the website, I don't, I don't pretend, I don't try to pretend that I'm a big brand. I don't try. I'm a huge brand with a with a you know with a marketing department and and all that. I, I use the personal first person pronoun on the website a lot. I say this is what I recommend, or I think this is you know, and, and I talk about my personal experience and let people kind of know. I put my phone number and my email address on the website all over the place and say you can call me and you're gonna when you call you're gonna get me. You're not gonna get you know a marketing person or some call center or something. So um, so the personal the personal service and expertise is what I'm trying to sell it or sell but yeah highlight is is different from the big brands right so you know one side of the coin you are a smaller brand smaller company one person business uh, but on the other mm -hmm. side of the coin you use that to your advantage by showing that there's a personal touch to it rather than a big corporate brand that likely you know has you know hundreds of people working for them and doesn't have that much as much of an intimate or personal touch to 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 the business, so you know clearly a very seasonal business. So tell us more about like what what are you what are you doing as you gear up towards uh, or not gear up? But what do you what do you, what do you typically spend your time doing during off peak season to prepare for for the the peak sales season for you? So yeah, it's uh, you know ten times busier in January than it is in July, and I I guess I didn't haven't said it, but I, it's this has been. It's not a hobby job, it's but it's a side job. I also coach endurance athletes, including ski mountaineering racers. Uh, so um, fortunately, I coach a lot of triathletes, and that's busiest in the summer and quietest in the winter. So they offset, they, you know, that allows me to uh, uh, get that balance a little uh, better. Um, 
but yeah, so in the summer, I'm preparing for the uh, preparing for the winter. I'm updating the website, getting the new gear put on the website. Uh, you know, in, you know, trying to experimenting with new apps or new new software, uh, and then you know, the, the the season kicks off in September, October. My gear typically arrives in October, and that's when I get busiest. Uh, and then um, you know, through through the winter, you're you're dealing with retailers or direct sales, and then starting to sell for the following winter starts in around January. Uh, already, uh, you're starting to. You know, I have to develop uh, price sheets and you know descriptions of the new gear, and send that out to retailers. Try to get the retailer orders, um, and so January through uh, April, I'm working with retailers, uh, and then I uh, I switch in uh, May and June to starting to prepare the website and the other you know, things for the fall. Got it. So you mentioned uh, that that you spent time on improving the website during this time too, and you mentioned so far to us that you use CM Commerce for the reviews. Are there any other apps that you recommend that or that you use to help run and power the business? Yeah, uh, there's a there's a few. I, I've used one. Um, I purchased it a while ago called uh, Fam Fully Automated Marketing, and it was very simple. Basically, they take a product and create a real quick email, um, and as a one man shop, that helped. Um, I am now switching over more back to CM Commerce for the emails. Uh, they've uh, they've in- introduced some new features where they basically do the same thing. They'll pull up product up out of my product listing and uh, and uh, kind of create. A, you know, I have to create a template first with you know my brand colors and all that. But they more or less automate an email, and then I you know can edit it and then send it. Um, uh, of course, I don't send anything in July or August. I, you know. I think that would be regarded as spam if I'm selling, trying to send send people emails about skis in July or August. So, uh, so I kind of prepare those, or I will be preparing these now to send later. So, yeah, um, CM Commerce for uh, for uh, email is uh, is is helpful, and I'm moving to that. It was a pretty difficult switch because I had been using Mailchimp, um, and I still haven't completed the conversion, but uh, I'm uh, happy. Happy with that so far. Uh, I use an app called Make an Offer, uh, and it's uh, it's it is what it is. Uh, you know, there's a little pop up when they're on a product. It's a little time delayed, and they can make their own offer on a product. You know, it might be a, a ski, and they can offer you know instead of seven hundred dollars, they can offer five hundred dollars. I tend to use that for older gear or gear that isn't uh, moving very well. And frankly, the I use it as much to get emails as I do to make sales. You know, I get some crazy offers that I can't accept, but I, you know, now I have their email and I can hopefully market to them later on. Um, I this uh, I use an, uh, an app or a service called Outdoorly for pro sales. In these type of high-end uh, sporting gear, there's a lot of sales to pros. You know, ski patrollers, guides, that type of thing. Uh, so, uh, I use that, uh, to, uh, you know, to make the offers for them. Uh, and then I use a couple of things. There's one called honeycomb upsell funnels, uh, by conversion bear. And I use a, a bundle app by uh, Revy. Uh, and that's a, actually, that's a pretty big, um, deal that I haven't, uh, an aspect that I just haven't cracked the nut on in Europe, um, in retail shops, people t- t- uh, the retailers tend to offer uh, bundles. They'll bundle a ski and a binding and a boot at a at a significant discount, and that kind of you know maintains the uh, 
the price level of an individual product because the discount is kind of spread amongst uh, two or three different products. And um, that isn't a, isn't a very common in the United States yet at retailers or online. So I've been trying to offer it um, through bundles on my, on my Shopify site uh, to, to make the market uh, more accessible, uh, you know, lower the price point for especially people coming into the sport because it's pretty expensive gear. So the bundles um, can lower that uh, cost or barrier to entry based on cost. But um, haven't really. Uh, I'm not totally satisfied with that yet. It's, it becomes a little bit cumbersome um, because I have 13 different skis and nine different bindings. I could have 500 bundle combinations, and it just gets a little cumbersome. And I think probably slows down or reduces conversion uh, as people get confused. Uh, so I'm looking into something a build your own bundle type of thing. People just get a discount by picking a ski and a binding and a boot. Uh, uh, but I haven't uh, found a service for that that I'm satisfied with yet. Awesome. So HaganSkiMountaineering.com is the website. So what are the goals that you have for this, this coming year? Do you have any certain goals that you want to get the business to or any any, any projects that you're focused on to, to continue to grow the business? You know, I think my goals are, um, and I've only probably become profitable in the, in the last uh, two years. I would say for the previous eight, I was I was losing money for the first three to five, and that's why I say it's kind of you know I could have just bought a pair of skis for and you know, saved uh, thousands of dollars over what I was and, and uh, you know thousands of hours over the first five years. So uh, you know it was an investment of time uh, to develop it. Um, but the purpose, the reason I got into doing it originally was to introduce the sport to more people because it's just such a fantastic sport. It you know promotes a healthy lifestyle. Uh, it's exciting. Uh, people get fit. You know, it's just a you know a healthy, beneficial lifestyle. So that was why I got into the uh, doing it as a distri- distributor originally, and I just want to continue with that. So I want to make uh, the gear accessible, uh, especially uh, the retailers tend to focus. Uh, on the higher end gear, um, and I want to try and it's, it's, try to, to grow the market for people that are coming in, and cost may be a barrier. So we have some lower price point products, uh, and I'm trying to uh, promote that to get more people to enjoy the sport. Um, it is kind of funny because uh, there seems to be a, a people uh, equate the price with the quality, and, it, and for the most part, I don't think that's really true. Uh, but retailers seem to be really hesitant to offer the bundles or to offer the price point products. They, they focus on the higher end goods. So I'm having to do it myself um, on the website, uh, uh, try to promote uh, the lower cost gear so uh, more people can get into the sport. Awesome. Great story. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike, and sharing your experience. Yeah, it's been a great uh, pleasure speaking with you, Phillips. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.